Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This is a special live pod. We will be taking your questions uh, to the extent that you have any. And uh, I welcome in my very special guest host, a uh, friend and colleague of mine, Mr. Stuart Holden. You know him well. Uh, you know his beautiful face. You certainly know his beautiful voice from all of our Fox soccer broadcasts from World Cup to Copa America to MLS, and the list goes on and on and on. If there are people pick, uh, kicking a soccer ball on Fox, chances are you are going to hear and see uh, Stu Holden. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I feel, you know, we've seen each other quite a few times here coming off the back of Sydney for spending a whole month together uh, there for the Women's World Cup. Disappointing for the United States, but I would say from our perspective, really enjoyed it. What a, what a wonderful place that uh, over there in Australia and that part of the world and getting to, I don't know, hang at Bondi Beach and Manly Beach and playing some pickup soccer, all the wonderful things that we did. So uh, good to see you again. It was, uh, it was a fun summer. It was an interesting summer. Um, have you recovered sufficiently when it comes to the, the jet lag? I still find myself almost like a heroin addict at strange times kind of nodding out <laughs> and i don't know if it's hey, uh, still lex, i don't know lex, if it's still remnants lex i hate to break it to you buddy that that's called all the old oh age that's uh, that's not you know i didn't invite right? on you know? here uh, you invite, i invite you on here to be an asshole all right so please let's let's just nip that in the bud uh, uh right now what else have you done this summer because I, as you mentioned obviously a lot of it was taken up by well first off gold cup and then right into the women's world cup what else have you done this summer my friend uh, you know, not a lot outside of that, although I will say I just got back from Labor Day in Arizona, went to visit my good buddy uh, Steve Nash out there, and he paraded me around Phoenix, where he lives now, and it was 107 degrees, just a mild, you know, uh, 107. So doing anything outdoors was nearly impossible, but I will say I did enjoy my time there, had a good couple of days, got back yesterday, and now kind of back into the swing. We've got the UEFA Nations League qualifiers coming back up here. We've got Messi coming up on FS1 in uh, about a week and a half. So looking forward to that. And, you know, we're, we're kind of we, we're, we're nonstop here at Fox Sports, Lex. Well, as we get back into the swing of things, I will remind folks, uh, if you do listen to the State of the Union pod, and I hope that you do, and if you don't, you should be listening to it. Um, we will come back online here in the next week. This will show up in your feed. Uh, later on this week, we will do a much more formal one. And then next week, our good friend David Mossy, who is out gallivanting around the world right now, he is over there in uh, in Spain at a, uh, a wedding of our good friend and colleague Keith, uh, Keith Costigan. 
think. So he's having a good time and Mossy deserves a break. And so we will welcome him back uh, next week. But we thought we'd light this candle and uh, do some stuff this week because there's all sorts of stuff that is going on. Stu, in your uh, in your travels this uh, this summer, have you watched anything? Have you seen anything? Oftentimes we talk about either things that we have seen um, or we have read over there that have tickled our fancy. Anything you want to tell the folks about? Yeah, so I, I got a recommendation to watch Hijack on Apple TV. And not only did I mis- make the mistake of starting that on a plane, uh, I, I was slightly terrified on the way over. So it's uh, Idris Alba. It's about, you know, you, you can get the gist of it. It's about a hijacking of a plane, and he's kind of this negotiator that's caught in the middle of it. There's all these subplots that go on underneath. But, yeah, to say that uh, to start that on a plane is not a good idea. Watch it at home. I will give uh, give the series some credit. I thought it was good. Uh, I, I don't want to give away too much as part of that because I know some of the listeners won't have, won't have watched or have seen. But... I thought generally overall it was a it was a good series, but yes, do not watch it while on an airplane because yeah, uh, usually, I mean, I know you you brought you brought that one on the airplane yourself. And yeah. Usually, what happens uh, if you actually if you pull up uh, you know uh, stuff that is already pre-programmed in a plane, oftentimes that they they will, and I think rightfully so, avoid anything that involves any type <laughs> involves of air plane, disaster yeah. Uh, yeah. on a uh, on an airplane. Uh, wait, I got, I got one more that I just oh, you got one? Okay. before right. I ask you. It's, I, I rewatched recently with my now daughter, my seven-year-old, because she's really into the soundtrack, but The Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman. And I, I want to give that that movie a nod because I think it is phenomenal. The music, the, the, the acting, the performance, you've got Zac Efron in there, Zendaya's in there. So, you know, it's a pretty stacked movie and i would recommend if you've not seen it to see it and then i also feel like that should be a broadway show so there, there's my two cents what about you lalas uh let's see well i did catch my daughter uh i have a teenage daughter uh and what what this phenomenon that probably will happen to you i know you have a younger daughter that's but this will happen where they rediscover things that you kind of went through and it, it could be fashion and it could be entertainment in this case there was a time a few years ago where all the kids in my daughter's age were discovering and binging friends, for example. And I think it was kind of like a a forensic exercise in that they couldn't believe that this type of existence uh, happened, you know, where people didn't have phones and they kind of all met up at this coffee shop. But I did catch her the other day watching uh, a show called Freaks and Geeks. And it came out right at the, uh, I guess, the turn of the century. And it has a lot of uh, actors that you will know nowadays because they went on to bigger and better things. It only lasted for about a, a season and a half, but she's binging that. So, uh, and I kind of sat down and watched it, and it is, it is really, really good. It didn't give a, get enough credit at its time. The other thing that I want to mention is that um, in terms of things that I've been doing over the summer, I know some people that follow me on uh, Twitter uh, know this, but I went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Have you ever been to Milwaukee, Stu? Uh, I have never been to Milwaukee, no. Uh, I, I don't think I have ever been to Milwaukee, but I went and saw the uh, Republican presidential debate up there. And it was an amazing scene. And it was an amazing thing to kind of get uh, behind the scenes as to what was going on there. You know, I'm a political junkie. And it was just so much fun to go to this place and see how it all unfolded and to see everybody. You know, it was very much like a sporting event uh, in, in in terms of the way that it was approached. You had your uh, your factions, I guess your fan bases, if you will, from all the different candidates and everybody's trying to spin and everybody's talking about all the intrigue that's going on behind. And then the whistle blows, which is the start of the show and the debate happens. And then there's the 
the uh, the postmortem after as to who won and who scored points and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't believe how many how many parallels there were to the uh, the sports uh, the sports world. So that's uh, that was a, a really fun thing that I could go on and talk about forever. But we got a show to get to here, and there's plenty of uh, soccer that we uh, want to talk about because there's all sorts of things that are happening. But we do want to get you involved in this. Uh, if you would like to talk. Just press that little button. Little blue light will show up next to you, uh, and it will, will inform me and Stu that you do want to say something. If you do come up and talk, hopefully you do it uh, with a brevity. Hopefully, you, uh, hopefully it's something interesting and entertaining, and like I said, with an economy of words, so we can get as many people in here as possible. There's no set thing that you have to uh, talk about. It can be a comment. It can be a question. Uh, anything that you actually want. Soccer, life, anything in between. We do have some things that we want to get to here when it comes to uh, what's what's going on, because we are in an international week. Uh, U.S. is playing, as are uh, most international teams. And so we have games coming up. We'll talk a little bit more about that on the uh, on the Thursday show. But I think when we come on here, Stu, I think we need to start with the big story when it comes to not just Major League Soccer, but American soccer right now. And that is the continued impact of Messi. When I ask you, Stu Holden, did you anticipate that he was going to be so successful so quickly and have such a dramatic impact, not just on the soccer world, but I guess the pop and sports and cultural world that we exist in, in that people want to go see this guy play. And it's not because he's a sex symbol or anything like that. It's specifically because of what he does on the field and the magic moments that he uh, that he supplies. So. I think it would be easy for us to sit here and say, look, I, I think Lionel Messi is the greatest player that has ever played the game of soccer. And, it, you know, you, you have to be on a different planet to not expect him to have a significant impact on the game here. But look, he, even look, we were in Qatar. I, I watched and was in the building that night when Lionel Messi won the World Cup, lifted that trophy, saw what it meant, not just for Argentina, but the response uh, globally in that moment. I mean, we're talking about a guy six months off of winning a World Cup, not only a guy that won a World Cup, but the be best player ever with all the pressure expectations and a guy that carried his team to that title coming to Major League Soccer. We've never seen anything like that before. But Messi, his immediate impact is beyond anything I could have imagined, to be honest, because I looked at his team and I said, you know what? David Beckham, when he first came to MLS, his first you know, six months in the league, he was coming into a bad team. The team struggled. It was really then year two and three when the roster flipped and we saw the best of the galaxy. And you saw Keane, Beckham, Landon Donovan, Jossie Zardes at the time. I mean, what, what Messi and Miami did in that league's cup is, it is sensational. I mean, the, the way in which they did it, the goals he scored, the 90 plus minute you know, the the uh, the free kicks to win games. I think that has been a big part of not just Messi being in MLS, but Messi absolutely lighting the league up, the team having success, uh, the celebrities turning up, and then not only the celebrities turning up to see Messi, but seeing Messi at his absolute best and, you know, playing on a different planet. So, I look, I, I see all this stuff about, all oh, the defending's not good in MLS. And you know what? Like, Messi scored so many goals. He's going to make MLS look bad. He's done that everywhere he's been. I mean, he, he has scored 30-plus goals almost the entire his entire career at Barcelona, PSG, wherever he's gone. And I just think that, yeah, they, I, I have friends. I, I guess the biggest litmus test is that I have friends that don't really care for soccer, like it because I'm involved in some way, and all they are talking and texting me about is Messi and how has he done this and 
how is he doing this now in MLS as, as well? And it, this guy is just unbelievable. So I, I, I want to say that I felt he would have a massive impact, Lex, but I didn't think it would be on the scale that we're seeing it in the mainstream media here in the United States. Yeah, I don't think that any of us predicted that he was going to have the consistency of success. And, and let's be fair, the soccer gods have smiled upon Miami. And, you know, part of the mark of a great player is making others better. And other players, even players that have been there, and by the way, were part of the worst team in the league until he got there, have raised uh, have raised their game. And that's, that's an important component. I want to kind of broaden it out because it's been dissected and rightfully so for a number of weeks now as to how do you stop this Miami team? And they have fundamentally changed that team in terms of the personnel and the ability. And them going into Los Angeles a couple nights ago and beating the defending MLS Cup champions and in the way that they did, I think solidifies them as this is not the the, the, uh, the inter-Miami team that we saw at the beginning of the year. But I want to I want to kind of broaden it out as to how significant this could be. And you know, Stu, we in the, uh, in the American soccer community, I don't think a, I don't think a sports community has, is more introspective. And we've talked about the insecurity, but we are always looking at how is this going to help the sport? How is this going to drive things forward? So how do you think Messi being in Major League Soccer is going to change Major League Soccer for the better going forward, other than just scoring goals and winning and winning games. Because I submit that Messi coming over provides a credibility that no player ever that has come over to MLS, I'm talking about a foreign player coming over to MLS, has provided. In that it's almost now you have license to come over because, because it has been blessed by the greatest player, a lot of people feel is the greatest player ever to play the game. And I think that that's important. And we've already seen, obviously, his impact from an inner Miami perspective when players are coming over. Uh, but but do you think that this continues on? And am I putting too much weight on this on this signing and giving too much credit to Messi in that this potentially could lead to many more and what you kind of want, which is this mass migration of players at least looking and hopefully many of them coming to the United States and Canada to play in Major League Soccer. So uh, I see that two ways. Yes, uh, I think that's absolutely fair what what you're saying because I think Beckham was the first at what you I mean you signed a guy so he was what 30 30 years old 31 31 years old around that you know so still at a pretty good stage in his career. Messi's obviously later in his career. But I, I would actually flip it back the other way, Lex, and not just the players wanting to come here, because I do think that players just naturally are intrigued by the United States and the pop culture and kind of, you know, the media market that exists here and also the style of uh, the lifestyle that, you know, that's, a, yeah. that's an important uh, part of this whole conversation. But I think what this has done for this new group of owners, right? When we talk about MLS 1.0, MLS 2.0, the founding fathers, the next generation, well, we're now in this next stage where we have these young, uh, exciting billionaire owners that want to put money into the league. Well, what does Messi show you? Messi shows you that if you bring the best players, the best player ever, you're driving up interest, you're driving up pr ticket prices, you're driving up TV ratings, everything, right? So I now know as an owner, well, I know Messi is, is that unicorn, right? I, I don't know if we'll ever see a, a Lionel Messi, but there's certainly the Mbappes, the Neymars, the, you know, these, these big larger than life type figures, uh, Erling Holland, but these guys are expensive, but there is, and has been shown that 
there, there's a legitimate payoff there if you go out and spend the money. So I just think that this becomes an important moment of time that we don't just enjoy it while we're in it these, this next two, three, four years, however long Messi plays. And, you know, you really use that as like, let's go and spend some real money and let's change the way this league is viewed, mixing it with the young players at the same time. And, you know, th if there's a time to go all in, I think it's now. Well, a couple of things. Number one, it's it's not a, it's not, for lack of a better word, it's not a fair fight when it comes to what Saudi Arabia is doing because there is no ultimate business. I mean, there is in terms of kind of building attention uh, to Saudi Arabia and a bigger type of plan. But when it comes to the money that they're spending, nobody's going to compete because you can't make that up. And MLS has always been a part of uh, of what's uh, of what's going on. Um, the other the other part of it is that if this does drive, if this does drive MLS owners to make a change, uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to be difficult because there is this history of uh, what, for lack of, of, of a better phrase, the OGs and the nouveau riche in the way that they have gone about spending. And it's been patient. It's been strategic. And I'm talking about the MLS owners from the start. And it in, what it has done is created the most popular and the most successful uh, American slash Canadian professional soccer league in, uh, in history. Before we move on and talk a, a little bit more about uh, U.S. men's national team and that kind of stuff and, and move on from Messi, uh, a reminder, if you would like to talk, uh, just hit that little button, that little blue light shows up. And if that happens, you can come up and uh, have have your say, as some people here have already done. Let's take a couple questions before we head on uh, and continue to talk about uh, other things, including the uh, the uh, U.S. men's national team. All right, let's go over here and see what uh, Ernesto has to say. Ernesto, are you there? The wheel spins around and around and around. It might stop. Who knows? It's possibly could stop. Ernesto's not going to happen. Anybody else want to uh, step up? If not, we will continue on. Stu, you're still muted, so I can't hear you. So I'm going to continue uh, to babble on. Again, going back to the uh, the messy situation, I hope that this drives change. I hope that we can look at Messi many years from now and say, you know what? That was the catalyst. That was what changed things for the... <laughs> For the better, I'm going to use the word better because I do believe that less restriction and more ability to spend can make the league better on the field and can make it much more attractive uh, going forward. And again, it goes back to that credibility. This has been a constant now almost 30 year quest for credibility when it comes to Major League Soccer. And at times it's been fits and starts and one step up and two steps back. But having arguably the greatest player in the world decide to come and come and not just waltz around. I mean, we can talk about the fact that he doesn't move a lot, but he is incredibly efficient with what he does. And this isn't something new just because he stepped on uh, U.S. shores that he doesn't uh, that he doesn't move. This is something that he has done for a while. And as long as his team is doing well and winning and as long as the rest of his teammates believe that this is OK and that they want to continue on doing that. That's uh, that's ultimately what they are uh, what they are going to do. Again, if you'd like to talk, you just press that little button. Little blue light shows up, and you can have your say. You can talk about this or anything else that we have talked about or haven't talked about. If that's something uh, something that you want to do, 
All right, I'm gonna. Stu's uh, Stu's running around. Stu got a new. I don't. You can't see him here, but you will be able to see it uh, if you are watching uh, ultimately on YouTube when we put this up. But Stu, who for many years now, when I have gotten on <laughs> any type of Zoom call with Stu, uh, he's been underneath the stairway. <laughs> of his house, uh, almost like a, uh, a Harry Potter type esque type of existence, and he has lived in this little grotto when it comes to his digital presence, and it's been pretty fun to see. So now, if you see him, uh, and those of you that are watching this after the fact, will see that Stu has a brand new—I uh, don't know what you call it—like an office area, and it's very, very, uh, very, very pretty and very, very, uh, very, very cool. All right, listen, we're going to continue on here and talk about uh, the national team, because as we mentioned, the uh, the international break is uh, is upon us. Stu, are you back yet? No, he's not back yet. He's just oh, you're back. OK, he's just hold on a second. He's got some nice pink headphones on that you can uh, that you can see. As we know, uh, the uh, U.S. national team will continue on against Uzbekistan. And Oman, two of the powerhouses. All right, Stu, are you back? Yes, no, maybe so. Yes, no, I don't know. All right, uh, Uzbekistan and Oman. All right, well, I don't hear you, Stu, but I see you. No, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Anyway, uh, I, can, I can continue to, to, uh, to talk on. All right, so we have the U.S. Uh, men's roster. And it's uh, an interesting collection of folks. and. I think that this is, I think everybody's going to have different critiques and criticisms as to what is happening. But I think in general, this is a roster that should get people excited. And yes, you have your usual suspects when it comes to Christian Pulisic and uh, let's see, Weston McKinney. And, you know, even a guy like Tim Ream, who's one of the older guys who has come back. But then you have some interesting new additions in the form of Drake Callender. We were just talking about Inter-Miami. Drake Callender is a goalkeeper coming in. And can he be, I guess, the new Matt Turner going forward? Or uh, does he come into the national team and not show the same as he has been showing for Inter-Miami? Uh, Inter That's going to be fun uh, ultimately to see what he looks like. Some returns in the form of, you know, a Joe Scally, uh, those types of things. Now, uh, Christopher Lund, uh, playing for Palermo, born in uh, Denmark, and a dual national picking the U.S. And this is nothing necessarily new. We have seen this plenty of times over the years when it comes to Greg Berhalter and this national team. But it's fun to see ultimately when a player does decide to go with the U.S. team, how they ultimately perform because is it simply the chase or is it that we are actually getting one of those uh, players that is going to make the U.S. men's national team better? Stu, you back? Yes? No? Maybe? I don't know. No, I can see him, but who knows? So is, is someone like Lund going to be one of those uh, one of those players? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Actually, you know what we should do? We should, let's remove him and let's bring him back and see if Stu can, I'm going to add him as a speaker and see if that works. Let's see if that works. Uh, but see, well, so then, and then up top, 
we have people like, uh, I just, yeah, I know you requested, Stu. I requested and I, I'm adding you as a speaker. I don't know how to do it any different, Stu. There we go. There I'm we in, go. I'm in. Gosh, yeah, he's back. Chaos, All right. Yes. Boy, Sorry, oh boy. Man. For someone that's so, you know, tech savvy and basically is my go-to IT. I'm telling you, look. What a massive was, fail like that two was. two pairs of AirPods died on me, then another pair of head. Yeah, whatever. Let's go. Let's roll. We're we talking All national right, So anyway, roster? yes, while you were futzing around <laughs> over there. We, we dug a little bit into this roster, and I think, and I don't want to speak for you, but this is an interesting roster. I think this is an exciting roster. We mentioned Lund as a dual national coming in. That's going to be interesting to see. Drake Callender, if he can continue on. Who on this roster excites you, um, and who are you, and, and whether they're new or not, or who on this roster is a returning player that you're looking for maybe a different version of? And then we'll Man, get into some I'm a, I, Flo Balogun. You know, that, that, this, is the, this is the kid that is the X factor, I think, for this team. He made a big money move to Monaco uh, this, this past transfer window, which is an interesting one to see how that goes. He's back to Ligue 1 where he had a great season last year on loan from Arsenal. But Look, we have talked and talked and talked about this team needing a number nine and not just a number nine, but an elite level number nine that could match with what we feel and and what we have seen now on on the biggest stage is the potential of Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, and now you have Flo Balogun. Let's just think about the clubs that these guys are playing at. I mean, the, the midfield, for example, you have... Two players playing in Syria, if that is your three, which for me it is. Then you have Tyler Adams, who's playing in the Premier League at Bournemouth. You have Pulisic in Syria. You have Tim Way in Syria. And then you would have a striker from League One, And not just, you know, okay teams. These are big teams, big players. And I think that's as scary a front six as you will find. Certainly in this region, by far and away the best. That, that, that absolutely trumps anything that I think Canada and Mexico can roll out. And so I, I just want to see the continuation of now Balogun with this team. We saw him get his first goal for the United States. We just heard him talk about how much he loved being a part of that group and what he feels his impact can be. And then look, the other one is uh, Benjamin Kremaski from uh, Inter Miami, who, by the way, sure, he's riding that uh, Lionel Messi wave, but why wouldn't you? And he's a very intriguing player. And I think he was one that ruffled a few feathers uh, from a call-up perspective with some people online who are saying, oh, it's too soon. Why not get the kid in? You know, if if the United States did not call him up and Argentina did, which they're not going to right now, but if they did, you know, everybody would be saying, why didn't the U.S. bring him in? Why didn't you, why didn't you give him a chance to see if he was good enough within this system and this coach? So I just think with Oman and Uzbekistan being the two games, it's an it, it's an opportunity to give these this this uh, this kid an opportunity. Yeah, well, hold on, hold on, Stu, yeah. hold on. Isn't that operating from a place of fear? Uh, isn't that? I mean, the, the national team should not be a charity. The national team is not a development team. And look, uh, we've seen you know players like. Uh, uh, Neil, uh, the center back yeah, from, uh, from yep. LA. We've seen we've seen ye- young players come uh, come in and kind of wet their beak. And Greg Berhalter actually has talked about whether it's a young player or a dual national wanting players to kind of come in and get a feel and a lay of the land, which is which is all fine and well. But in the case of Kramansky or, or or others, are we just like I said, operating from a place of fear in that we're scared that they're going to go someplace else? And it's all about 
what this player could be in the future, as opposed to what a normal national team is, is where on a consistent basis, this player does something in a club type of situation that then warrants. And I know we we talk about merit and warrant and all that kind of stuff. And it is subjective because it's still human beings that are that are picking it. And it's not the best, quote unquote, players. It's the best collection of players. But as part of this I can I can understand some of the consternation out there when it comes to some of these players. Or am I just being well, am I so, just being ridiculous? Come on, but, but but Lex, you can't you can't tell me with a straight face you don't feel this happens in other nations where you know a, a player is on fire for three four months and gets a call up to the national team. I mean, he's having a great year this year. This is his first full year as a pro, and I think it, as opposed to the team, but being relative scared, to any other player, relative to any other American player that's playing right now and playing well, so, and that yeah, uh, I mean, is, this is the, older. This, this was the yeah, but but we're we're also in a, a point in the cycle where it's early in the cycle, and you're you're you do want to get a look at like. Look, Kate Cowell, what Kate Cowell's doing in MLS this year, I wouldn't say has warranted a, a, a call up at, at this level of the national team. So it, it's case specific. And I'm, I'm not saying that uh, Kramaski has had a better, like he's not in the running for MVP or even probably top five American players in MLS this season. But I think when, when, you're, when you're talking about the total package and, and, and analyzing it in his case individually, that you, you have to be real and say, sure, the, the dual national part has an impact on his call up. But I also think we've seen flashes and things from him where I'm intrigued. I'd like to see a little bit more and I'm not expecting him to start both of these games, but everything included. Yeah, sure. Why not? What, what's the risk, you know, that, that you're going to leave, uh, miss out on an opportunity for a guy that's 26, 27, 28 years old that, that probably will not make the next world cup. So right. I, I say, I mean, why I just, not? And I don't think it's, I, I, place I'm just fear. wary when it comes to the dual nationals, I'm wary of us doing something to a player simply to protect, I guess, this player from going someplace else. And in doing that, we are doing a disservice to the player. And look, I know all's fair in love and war, and I guess in international soccer, and the art of recruiting and the skill of recruiting has become much more important, especially for a country like the United States, where we have so many dual nationals and potential dual nationals, and sometimes even more than dual nationals, it's important that you are able to, like I said, recruit or woo players. But if in doing so, you do them simply to protect them and they don't end up panning out, and you look, nothing is promised to anybody. I just, I worry if we're actually doing it because we believe it's going to make us better or we're just worried about players going the other, the other side. And when it comes to the younger players, I worry that the message that it is sending is it's it's not about what you are doing on a consistent basis. And and to your point, Stu, you're absolutely right. Around the world, this happens. It is it is, you know, life isn't fair, and soccer isn't fair, and the national team isn't always fair. And there's often times where players get called in, oftentimes simply because of where they play and the teams that they play, and multiple players coming in for teams that are good, and a player that's playing really well on maybe a smaller or poorer team doesn't necessarily get the attention that's going forward. But to the extent that you can establish that it is about merit and it is about how you are playing with the Nash, with the, with your, uh, with your club team, at least on the surface, I think that that's important. If you lose that, I think you lose credibility. So, you know, I want to touch on uh, Noel Buck from the new England revolution, who just uh, is another dual national Mm-hmm. Uh, was recently called up by England for the U19s. And I, I wanted to just make sure I had his quote correct and, and not to misquote him because 
he uh, was sent, was asked about, you know, obviously not getting called into this U.S. camp. Uh, let's keep in mind, by the way, Noah Buck, you've played, uh, now this is your second season with the Revolution. So you've played 26 total MLS games. And, you know, he said, I feel like they haven't given me the time of day to be completely honest. And when I get called into an England camp, it's an honor for me. Wearing the shirt isn't like uh, a symbol of screw the U.S. It's not. They haven't given me the time of day and I want to have a good time and I want to learn something, which then it came out also that Greg Berhalter talked to him and understands that there's interest from England, which Greg Berhalter said he thinks is great. And it's a great achievement to have someone like England looking at you. He also said he communicated with him, told him we see him as a player that compete for 2026. Uh, a national team coach called you and you've played 26 games, but yet you feel you've been disrespected by the United States. Um, you know, I, I understand that he didn't make the U-20 World Cup roster, which uh, was a bit of disappointment for him. The coach in that moment chose that he didn't feel that Noah Buck was going to be one of his uh, guys. I, I just, I, when did we get to the point? Now, you know, you going back to me and we're talking about Kramaski getting called up, where we feel that we, we all of a sudden we played 26 games and we're supposed to have, you know, a, a national team coach or a program checking in with us all the time, telling us how great we are. I mean, I, I came from a place where, you know, you, really the first communication you got from a coach was when you got the call-up letter. When I found out that I was getting called in, Bob Bradley called me to tell me he I was being called in for the national team. I was so stoked and, and uh, beyond excited for that moment. But I wasn't expecting Bob Bradley to be checking in with me the whole time saying, hey, man, you're, you're doing a really good job. You're on our radar. You earn that. You earn that through your play. And I don't think anything like that should ever be expected. That's why I always cherished every national team call-up that I got. And I, I will say those quotes just rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because to me, you keep your head down. If you didn't get called in this camp, you keep your head down. You keep working. You get an England call, good. Go and enjoy it. And maybe, you know, it, that, that might create a, an interest in a different way. But I just think these kids sometimes these days read their own hype a little bit too much. I sound old. Jesus, man, Stu. Oh, my old God. What a grumpy old man. For such a young guy, you're such a grumpy old man. My goodness. I mean, look. Take it with you. It's done that to me. It's it's entitlement. You know, I mean, you, you have no right to expect a call from Greg Berhold. First off. Had anybody even heard of this kid until the, the uh, England connection came out? Nobody had, okay? <laughs> I mean, unless you were following the New England Revolution, nobody had. And so, and, and so now we should be bent out of shape uh, about the fact that, he, uh, that, he's, that he's going to England. I mean, I wish him luck, and I hope he stars and, and has a wonderful uh, time going, uh, going forward. But the fact that Greg Berhalter called him, that's great, but I, I don't give a crap if Greg Berhalter calls him or, or not. I mean, if he's yeah. not... If he's yeah. not his cup of tea and there are going to be some good players, there might even be some ultimately great players that are not going to be a national team coach's cup of tea. And that's OK. The national team coach's job is to get the best collection of players. And look, the best collection of players usually is to try to find the best players, best players out there. But again, that's a subjective type, uh, type of decision from uh, from Greg Berhalter. 
The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If you would like to uh, ask a question here and come up and uh, be involved in this discussion, all yeah, you got to do is hit down. that button. Come on down. Don't be don't be That's shy. Right. Join That's us. Right. Up You're here, very you know? intimidating as a as a grumpy <laughs> old man. Stu. you hit that button, a little blue light shows up and it indicates that you want to speak. We're going to transition a little bit, and you mentioned uh, uh, Greg Berhalter because you know he continues to be a story, and I think fairly so because of everything that has happened over the last eight months since uh, since the world since the World Cup and all of the drama the drama of uh, the investigation into uh, events from 30 plus years ago, the, uh, the, not the I guess the, the re-examination of uh, who is going to be the coach, and then I guess the full circle of coming back around, the TED Talk situation, obviously with, the, uh, with, with Gio Reyna and with the situation with the Reynas, all of that kind of stuff. And we come back around and we have Greg, uh, Greg Berhalter. Now, it's interesting because, you know, part of the challenge and I guess the, um, the, the problem that Greg Berhalter had was created, uh, and I think he'd be the first one to admit it, in that, I'm just calling it a TED Talk, but whatever it was, that talk that he had and in which he didn't mention by name, but I think everybody understood and it got out publicly. And I think he would recognize that if he had to do it over again, that's not something that he would do. So then my question is, have you learned your lesson? And then a couple of days ago, we read the Vanity Fair article with Greg Berhalter. Now, that in and of itself isn't a problem. Vanity Fair is a big publication. I think that that would be something that if you were going to come out, I guess, for the first time and discuss this, uh, this second go around in this second cycle, there's places that uh, that are kind of big and kind of have a megaphone. And I, I would think Vanity Fair would be one of those in terms of credibility. And yet the only thing ultimately that comes out of this that anybody is going to remember is the fact that he has not called uh, Gio Reyna yet and that he is looking into mediation in order to solve this problem. Uh, one, who agreed that this was a good idea to go and talk to Vanity Fair knowing that you have yet to talk to Gio Reyna. And again, putting your foot in your mouth and again, creating a problem where there didn't need to be and again, creating controversy relative to, uh, to who you are. So it just, it blows my mind. Is this the end of the world? No, they're going to go on. They have these two, uh, these, these two games. But how do you see Greg Berhalter right now as the head coach after everything that has happened, and especially leading into next summer with Copa America coming up? Yeah, let's start, first of all, with, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the part here with this Vanity Fair article. I, you know, Greg, Greg and I feel, I, I, was, I was excited to see him get the, the opportunity again because I, I felt that, you know, he was in contract negotiations. I felt he'd done enough in this first cycle to earn a second shot. Uh, I was proud of the way the team played at the World Cup. Uh, I, I think he spent time over three to four years building a bond with this young group of players, finding ways to connect to them, changing the style of play, changing ultimately, again, I think the way that we perceived we are perceived globally and that we can actually play soccer uh, pretty soccer, you know? And, and, and I think that was Greg's mission from the beginning. There were the unfortunate incidents that you referenced and laid out and without rehashing all of that, I just feel that 
you know, one of his strengths from the beginning was his ability to connect with the team internally and create a culture of, of trust, accountability, togetherness, uh, you name it. And I, and I think one of the questions coming out of the, um, what was it, the Howe Institute, Institute when he spoke and people were saying, Greg's lost the locker room. Well, I think we found post-World uh, Cup and post you know, uh, post-mortem off of everything that happened. And in fact, Greg had not lost the locker room. Um, maybe he had lost a little bit of respect in the way in which that was handled and maybe a little bit of trust within that, right? And some of the players saying, well, you know, Greg aired uh, some of the dirty laundry, whether un unintentionally he did. Um, and I think just, you know, as a coach, you never want to be bigger than the team and you never want that to that to be the perception in a way. And I think in the way in you know, a Vanity Fair article comes out pre your first camp. Like, how about your first time that you talk to your team or even publicly anybody hears from you? It's your team within the group, first camp, setting the tone, first press conference. Hey, we're back. We're ha our heads are down. Mission is on 2026. And I, I, I get that a lot of that has to be addressed. Um, and I, I'm a little disappointed that he and Gio have not found the time because if you feel Gio is going to be a big part of the team, uh, into this next cycle, uh, you know, I, I think that warrants a, a flight to Germany and finding the time to not just visit Gio, but visit other guys in Europe. But, you know, Greg's had a lot of time uh, between being the coach. I mean, he didn't even coach the Gold Cup. He, uh, uh, BJ Callahan was out there with the team that ultimately fell short of expectations. But this is the beginning of the new cycle. And I think it's a priority. Either you're going to get Gio on board or you're not. But I think, you know, they've both stayed. Well, I, I, we've heard Greg state publicly that he wants to be able to connect to him. And, you know, if I'm Joe Reyna reading that right now, uh, I'm a bit like, oh, you're going to go through a mediator and everything you're going to say is going to be, you know, contrived in this way that you think is going to be best for me. Um, I don't know. It just feels but, a little. But this is why it's, this is why it's so delicate. And, and, and it's yeah. fascinating to me in terms of, you know, we talk about coaches and we talk about X's and O's and all that kind of stuff, but really what it comes down to is, is management and management of personalities and the dynamic that exists right now. I think, to be quite honest, I think Greg Berhalter's biggest challenge relative to Reyna, uh, to Gio Reyna, is not treating him with kid gloves and yeah. not pulling his punches when it comes to Gio Reyna. Because if there comes a point when either he doesn't feel that Gio Reyna is the best to start or he doesn't feel that Gio Reyna is the best to put in as a substitute, or that he doesn't feel Gio Reyna is the best to bring into a camp. He has to make that call. And if and when he makes that call, automatically people are gonna say, oh yeah, but this. And, and Gio's almost in this, <laughs> this rarefied air and then and then in this no-lose position where he almost gets to almost, I say, almost gets to play the martyr. And so that's why I think this is just so, it's such an interesting dynamic. And don't get me wrong. I think that Gio Reyna is a wonderful talent. And if he continues on in the way that we think he is going to be, I think that he would be a wonderful asset to have going forward. Yeah. And again, you still, and this is, these are, you know, as Tata Martina would say, these are champagne problems. And everyone that says, oh, Gio Reyna should start. Gio Reyna should start. Okay, fine. But now put your best 11 on the field and who are you taking off that is a quote-unquote traditional type of starter right now? Because somebody very, very good, and maybe multiple people very, very good, are going to be on the bench. That's a good thing. But again, when you say Gio Reyna should start for the U.S. men's national team, I want to know where and I want to know over whom uh, going forward. And so yeah. for Greg Berhalter, I think that dynamic is going to be really interesting, really delicate, 
really sensitive, and he's going to have to guard against, like I said, playing a favorite because of that past history and baggage. And there's some that are listening right now that would say, and that is exactly why he should not be coach, because he comes with that baggage, and in, ha- in having that baggage, that is a hindrance to him being able to do his job. Yeah, can I, and, and I feel it's important here, and uh, this is going to be the other side of me being a curmudgeon about five minutes ago, is that, you know, I, I think that Greg Berhalter, when you consider, you know, and people are like, oh, mediator, and I, I know I just said it there. We, we do have to um, understand the human side of both of these players and take away the coach and the player, and that Greg Berhalter, what he went through in that period is is something that that nobody should have had to go through in their personal relationship with their wife of 30 years and rehashing an incident that uh, they had clearly moved on and passed from. And, you know, all of that while going through that, also the threat of potentially losing his job, a job that he was going to have, a job he's worked his whole life for. So I think thankfully he has that back, but I think obviously Greg's going to, he's a human, he's going to harbor some ill will towards the reign of family still. He wasn't willing to talk about that with Claudio and Danielle and so I think for him, it's also to find the right way to, you know, be able to compartmentalize what he can and focus on Geo, the team, the playing aspect, and obviously trying to move on from what he's had to deal with the past seven, eight months. So there, there's a lot to unpack there, Lex. And, um, you know, I, I, one last thing on Geo as a player. I, I saw everybody during the Nations League. We saw Geo Reyna on fire, right, in the number 10 position, ripping apart Mexico. He looked like Geo. And everyone's like, See, if only Greg had played him. Uh, by the way, Greg wanted to play a Geo. He just was never healthy. And, and that has been his issue, is consistently being on the field. He got injured during qualifiers. He wasn't 100% during the World Cup. We all know what Gio Reyna is capable of. He has to find a way. I hope his body can get through this period and we can get him on the field. Because like you... Then you're talking about when, where does he play? But until that point, we, we can't have that conversation until he can stay on the field. Well, well, when it comes to Greg Berhalter, and, and I don't want to kind of push it forward to, to, to the future, I think that Greg Berhalter owes it to his team. I'm talking about the players. I think he owes it to the Federation. I think he owes it to himself. And I guess to a certain extent, he owes it to us to show up and to show a changed and more evolved type of Greg Berhalter for everything that he has been through. I'm not just talking about the last eight months. Yes, to your point, none of us have been through something like that. And no, you don't wish that on anybody, but you would like to have think that he would have grown from that. And certainly over the last cycle, and to your point, by, by all accounts, he was set to continue on, that it's not good enough just to be the Greg Berhalter from the last cycle. And so as we go into these next two games, and I don't know how much stock you put on Uzbekistan and Oman, but it is the first time that we are seeing this team now under Greg Berhalter since all the craziness happened. But more importantly, as it goes into next summer and Copa America, I know a lot of people, including myself, are putting a lot of stock into what happens next summer. And if there ever were to be a change and an emergency type of situation and a belief that it's not heading in that right direction and that we are not seeing a better team and a better version of Greg Berhalter, it might manifest in Copa America. And I think that's where a a fairer judge of uh, him. Do you think that that's fair, number one? And two, do you think that ultimately Greg Berhalter lasts to 2026 and obviously gets through next summer? And what are you looking for? And what are you looking for here in these uh, these next couple of games? Yeah, well, we're thinking about ways, 
and this actually is going to parlay perfect into I, I you know, uh, our producer Sean here is asking, let's let's open up, get some questions in here when you guys can. So either on Twitter or, you know, hit that little button and, and join us in here, because I do see one which asked you, Alexi, who was the most difficult opponent for the U.S. in 94? And I think that plays into okay. uh, the, the point I'm going to make here, which is that, you know, when you're hosting the World Cup, you, we're really only we're not looking at any qualifiers now. So you're not going to see us Mexico in a competitive setting like that, but where we are going to see this team in a competitive setting is Copa America next year. And the friendlies coming up. If Greg Berhalter loses to Oman and Uzbekistan, sure. People are going to be up in arms, but it's not going to be a Greg Berhalter is getting fired. I think when we look at next year, that is really kind of the, the opportunity for us to, to see once again, the measuring stick of, of where this team is, where has been, to your point, Lex, the progression from 20, uh, 2022, the World Cup, where it was good, but now the question is, can we beat a top opponent in, in, a, in a meaningful tournament, which I think that Copa America will be when you're thinking about Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Ecuador, et cetera. So granted, um, look, that if Greg Berhalter loses all three games in that tournament and the U.S. go out in the group stage, there should be a real question of, uh, and conversation about should he continue? Is he the right guy uh, to coach this team? And I, I think it all depends on that performance. So there's a base level somewhere in between is probably fine. Uh, you know, whether that's, you know, out of the group losing the next game. I, it, it, that's that's what I mean. I, I think it will be fun and fair to judge this team based on those performances in a way that, you know, you you have accountability about your job and, it would still be at a point where Matt Crocker could look at it and say, hey, you know what? I did mess up by bringing Greg Berhalter back. And uh, I need to think that he's not the guy that can take us uh, to at least a quarterfinal in 26. Because to me, that's that's the minimum expectations of that team coming to that tournament. All right, listen, we got a question. Uh, Paul Edwards, he's a coach, evidently, if, you, if your Twitter bio, buyer uh, is to be believed. Coach Paul, what are you doing? Hey, how you doing, Lex? Uh, yeah, I am I'm good, my friend. Uh, where are you calling from? Hold on, where, uh, you, where are you calling? Uh, Orange County. Uh, Orange County, and and who do you coach there? What what's uh, what's your coaching background? Yeah, the uh, San Juan Hills girls basketball team, the Mighty Stallions. Love it! Oh Love my it. goodness! Let's go Stallions! That's right there, we go. Right. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, what do you want to talk so, about? Hey, I just want to follow up to to Stu's point, and and really, I, I, but I want a little more, Stu. So if <laughs> if we want more in this World Cup, right? If we're saying twenty twenty six is is the next big thing. Then if we go Copa America and we have a repeat of what we just saw, meaning a, a, a good group stage, right? Let's say we, we get out of the group and let's say in the Copa, we have, we have three wins. We're, we're looking great in the group, right? But then it's knockout round time and we lose in that first knockout game. And we say, you know what? That was good enough. Aren't we just saying where we've been is good enough going forward and, and we haven't gone to that next step and said, no, 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 we want more now. The expectations are higher. I'm just concerned that Copa America will be similar to the World Cup in that getting out of the group and having a good group stage performance is going to be good enough. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, we've been to a semifinal of a Copa America, actually multiple yes. Copa Americas, yes. if you go back to uh, 1995. And so I do think Copa America is a different animal than uh, than the World Cup. And again, if 
if, if for some reason they get out of the group and then they face, I don't know, Messi and Argentina in the, uh, in the, in their first knockout round and they go out, is that fair to judge it on Messi and, uh, and Argentina? No, but, but to your point, I do think that we have to have higher expectations and it's not just simply delusional. We should win. And I don't care how it ends up happening and we should win because we, we know that we are still not at the elite level yet. It doesn't mean we can't beat elite teams, but we need a lot to go right. So I do think next summer, there has to be a fairness in the way that Greg Berhalter is judged relative to the tournament. But this is not a World Cup. This is, I mean, getting out of the group, that should not even be a question. If the U.S. Yes. doesn't get out of the group next uh, next summer, that is a big, big warning. That is a big, big red flag. And that ultimately, absolutely, could lead to a legitimate change, uh, changing of the guard when it comes uh, comes to Greg Berhalter. And by the way, if Greg Berhalter was on this call, I think he would say the same thing. Stu? Yeah, so, uh, Paul, you make a great point. And I think one of what we saw from the team in the World Cup, right, If we're let's go back and analyze 2022 and what, and what we saw. I think we saw that we could see a U.S. team that had a lot of potential, that uh, a lot of talent, that you know played against one of the best countries in the world in England in the group stage and looked like the better team uh, with and without the ball and, and in fact dominated that game but did not win the game but it, it had us leave it with left with some feelings of oof you know what Pulisic doesn't hit the post that's in the back of the net we win that game uh, then to the knockout stage where we pretty handily got beaten by the Netherlands and it was kind of a humbling experience and I think that's where now we need to be able to get to is learning how to win those games. I think we have the talent to beat the Netherlands in that game, right? I, I think yeah. that U.S. team um, could have on a different day, but I don't think we were quite ready. I think what we need to see is that this team is ready to beat a big team in, in, an, in a knockout one-off game. And those games are hard, you know, and, and those games come with experience, not just of a coach, which Greg Berhalter, let's remember that was his first World Cup as a coach. Not that you often get multiples, um, as a coach, but, you know, tactically, I think he learned some hard lessons that night, but now we have a, a team that's going to be more mature three, four years on guys playing consistently in the champions league guys, knowing what it takes to win big games. So I think the pool will be more mature and more developed. And I think Greg will be, but yet if he shows that that team looks, as you said, like we get out of the group and we just get completely run in, in, in that first knockout game. Yeah, I wouldn't be con entirely convinced that Greg Berhalter could be the guy that could take this team far in what he openly admits is, look, it's two tournaments. It's the group stage, and then it's the knockouts. And the knockouts is where you earn the big money. And that's 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 where both players and coaches shine. Amen. And Stu, and that's kind of where I'm going. And, and to Lex's point, I, you know, you're playing in Argentina, you're playing in Brazil. I grade it differently. But if you're going up against an Ecuador, mm -hmm. right, yeah. or, or maybe a Colombia, it, it, you know, and, and part of this may be our, our cultural in, in American sports. To me, in those big games, coaches matter. They matter a lot in preparation, in tactics. And so to me, this is this is this is big time for Craig next summer. I mean, this yep. is OK. We are in that first round knockout game against Ecuador. Let's see where we're at. How, how do we advance? How does coaching matter? So, so I'm excited for it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, Paul, just quickly on that. So I, I, I'm with you. I, I think coaches matter in a big way. But um, let, let me throw this back at you. Let, let's think back to the Netherlands-Argentina, right, in, uh, in the World Cup. And, you know, Argentina's boss in the game up 2-0. I mean, they won that game on penalties. And in many ways, Argentina could have been out. And, 
you know, th there were just a couple of individual mistakes within that. And I just think sometimes in high stakes games too, it, it's as much on the players as it is on the coaches because they're the ones that are executing. Right. And, you know, guys that can consistently execute without making those one mistakes, like us can play Ecuador toe to toe or be the better team, but two guys make mistakes at the back and you know, your team ends up losing. So that, I, lo I love that part. That's that's pressure, right? Like that, yeah. that's pressure on coaches and, and on players. And the, the players that can execute consistently at the highest level under the most pressure, those are the best ones. But in, in, in Qatar, the U.S. picked the worst time and place to play their worst game ultimately yes. against, yeah. uh, against the Dutch. Yeah. And they can't. That's what you cannot afford to do. And whether yeah. that's the players, whether that's the coach, obviously it's collective. Hey, Paul, before I let you go, because you were at least you at least had the courage to come up here and ask a question, unlike anybody else. And I thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, can, can I just before because we're going to finish this up, we're going to wrap this up here in a second. But that, that I have you on the line. You know, because you've, you've also, you know, you're, you're involved in the in the American soccer craziness, right? Yeah. Um, at least you can see it and understand it. And, you know, we, you know, we, we eat our own, we fight amongst ourselves, we do all this kind of stuff, and we're co constantly navel gazing and, and trying to figure out what is wrong with our system. When it comes to basketball, are there any parallels? Are there any similarities in terms of, hey, the system is broken and why is this like this? And I know it's a little bit different in terms of basketball because, I mean, while it's an international sport, not, relative to soccer, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not as big. But in America in particular, in terms of the way that youth basketball functions, are there similarities and are there similar frustrations from, I guess, the fan base out there? Yeah, Um so great question, Lex. So, so I have a, so, so I'm going to take it just real quick and I, I won't be long, but I'm going right. to take that in two ways. First of all, I have a, I have a 10 year old son who is a rabid soccer player, plays for Irvine strikers, um, has, you know, great dreams of, of his soccer career, uh, was a daily listener on the state of the union podcast, Lex. Oh, you're um, raising him well. You're way, yeah. raising him well. Thank you. So big fan. But, but I also, I also coach a, a basketball club. Right. Um, and so I have a, a, a real, you know, big insight and just a couple things uh, real quick. First of all, what I just noticed in basketball is we play games all the time. And and it's literally a given that every weekend or every month we're going to play two tournaments a month and we're going to play and we're going to learn playing the game right in games right and that yep. means sometimes we go and we get just absolutely killed because we're playing an opponent that is just better than us right but but we we learn and we go through the struggle playing games and you know i i just it's just different with soccer we, we is the thinking know, that it's more beneficial to play a game than to have a training session absolutely a hundred percent interesting it's, it's, interesting it's getting better through through playing in, the, in those experiences so interesting so yeah that's just the, the the one thing that that i see that's different i mean versus youth soccer in the summer you have a tournament here a tournament there kit you know they're on vacation and it's just it's just a different different model but Got uh it. Yeah. Paul, you're the man. Paul, you are the man. For, uh, I don't know if I answered what you're you, asking. But no, 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 you, you did. It's, it's great. You did. Great. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, I was just, I was trying to get it. Uh, you want to take another one, uh, Stu, before we go? Yeah, let's do another one. I, I got All nothing right. to do. Let's, my son's, let, let's see if my Jamie son's sleeping. Look, I know you can't see on the camera. Look at this, Lex, right here. There What's that? Oh, look at that. 
That's awesome. Let's see what uh, Jamie has to say, or if Jamie uh, has anything to say. Unmute yourself, Jamie, or forever hold your peace. There you I'm go. I'm not going to forever hold my peace. Like, say, how are you? Okay. <laughs> how are you? Where are you calling uh, from? Houston. Houston, Texas. Houston. And what uh, oh, what do you do over there, Jamie? What do you do over there? I Scottish accent. Oh, Jamie, boy, let's have it back. I'm doing well, Stuart. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, mate. I see you're a Rangers fan. Tough day at the moment. Tough week, yeah, tough week, <laughs> tough start to the season. And uh, by the way, Stuart, uh, just to let you know, if you have any more of your cheek, I'll be talking to your mother, Moira, so you just calm <laughs> oh, down. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, get to it. What do you I'm want to talk about? Now. I'm listening so, now. I kind of want to go back to the the whole Greg Berhalter issue with Gio Reyna. Okay. Yep. And I just wanted to get, your guys' opinion on whether Gio should be punished for his father's actions or not. He's a good player. He can contribute. Yep, yep. But I think that the reaction that Greg faced over an incident that happened many years ago was was not right from from Gio or, or, or his dad. So I just wanted to get what yeah, your no. both of your guys' reaction was about that. So a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, you don't, uh, you know, the sins of the father, you don't visit upon the, uh, the the son or the daughter. And so that what what the what the Reynas uh, and uh, his parents did, I separate that out uh, relative to what Gio Reyna, you know, did. And, and look, there's you know, there's talk about his attitude. And that can be dealt with internally. And look, I, you're, you're talking to someone here that at times had an attitude and at times probably drove uh, uh, coaches, uh, coaches crazy. And that can be dealt with. And that's a much simpler type of thing. I'm also of the opinion, and, and I've said this many, many times, is while I don't believe in multiple cycles, because Greg Berhalter was, like I said, by all accounts, going to continue on as the coach, I didn't want him not continuing on to be the result of these actions uh, by uh, by the Reynas and the dredging up of something over 30 years ago that, to be quite honest, is not my business, it's not your business, it's not anybody's business. And that it came out uh, makes me not only sad, but it also makes me, uh, it makes me angry. But the relationship between him and Gio, that's all part of it. And that's why I talk about that, uh, that dynamic. And so when Greg sits down, I think he's going to have to have a real honest conversation with this player. And while he's, a, he's still a young man, he's now grown into an adult and have a, a mature and adult conversation and recognize that you can't just you can't just shove it away. It's always going to be there. But the extent that you can at least cover it, I guess, if you will, and go on and get the job done. And I think both Greg and Gio have to realize that they can make each other better. Greg can make Gio better by giving him opportunities to play at the international level, including World Cups going forward. And Gio can help Greg keep his job and do well on the field. And so I think that that has to be part, uh, part of the conversation. But I do think that it has to be kind of a separation of what happened with Greg and Gio Reyna's parents and what happened with Greg and Gio Reyna as a soccer player. Stu? Yeah, and, and Jamie, you know, it, it, it's interesting because Gio was not void of, um, you know, his. he certainly had a part to play in all of this as well. And, that, you know, this actually all stemmed from what Greg had opened up about when 
Gio Reyna com- comes into camp and there was some major attitude stuff going on and some stuff in the practices and the practice game leading up to the World Cup so much so that actually the players council, the leadership council, they call it, with, you know, that involves Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, et cetera. They were the ones leading this process. And there was an actual conversation about Gio Reyna potentially going home. So, you know, that that was then, that was actually kind of what it really kickstarted everything that came after that. So that was a Gio and a Greg thing. And also Gio something himself that he had to, or that he did that led to all of that. So I think you know, there's a couple of parts of that. I mean, Gio, Gio Reyna is insanely talented. He needs to mature as a player on and off the field in a way that, you know, I think part of that attitude is what makes him who he is. And I think I love, uh, you know, the way in which he plays with a real bite on the field. But there's there's also the time. And look, I played with one of the <laughs> the toughest guys in that sense in Clint Dempsey. And I remember talking to Clint throughout the World Cup about it. And he understood from Gio's side you know, why he might act the way he did in certain moments. And uh, I, I never wanted to take that away from Clint Dempsey, right? Like that that made him the competitor that he was. But Clint also understood the other part of that, which is being a part of the team. And that it, there is, uh, are moments within that where the team is bigger than you. And I think that that's the part of m- maturing that Gio has to do. And that ultimately, I think everybody's hope is that through this, whatever comes of Gio and and Greg together is that they can find a way. They're not going to be best friends. I think we all know that. Um, But there's a way that they can coexist that is beneficial to the national team because ultimately, you know what? Currently, Greg's the guy in charge that has more power and he could just not select Gio Reyna if he feels that Gio's not going to make the team better. Jamie, how do you think this gets uh, resolved ultimately? You think uh, that they can at least move on and uh, agree to disagree on some different things, but mutually uh provide um you know the work necessary in order to make each other better yeah to be honest with you i think they have the biggest motivation to try and fix it and that's mm-hmm. the world cup in the yep. united states yep really i thought that this behavior thing probably just delayed how the united states could have developed since the world cup the one in uh, in qatar big ones yep. are coming up big advantage being at home so I was a bit surprised that it took so long to rehire him again, have this whole, this whole thing happen. But I think both for both of them, the biggest motivation that they have is that, you know, they're going to be playing home games for a World Cup. Not many things managers and players get to, get to experience. So I, I think it's going to be important for Gio and Greg to somewhat fix whatever relationship that they have. They might not see eye to eye, but... If they can agree on some mutual goals for both of them, that they can help each other out. Jamie, that'd be good for them. Do you do you think if Gio Reyna is fully healthy, is he in your starting eleven for the U.S. Men's National Team? Uh, it's one thing to be fully fit. The other thing is if you're playing well. I'm of the opinion that you should take players who are playing well. If Gio Reyna doesn't kick a ball for two years until 2026, I doubt it. But I'm just being very hypothetical, and I don't think he deserves to be to be. So, in what, if let's say that they play, they continue to play this four-three-three type of uh, formation. Where do you where do you see him playing? Oh, honestly, that's 
that's a tough one. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 tough because if you have him as one of the wide players in that uh, 4-3-3, then either a uh, Weya or a Polisic has to come out <laughs> has to come out of the game. If you're you not, have him, if you have him at the Christian. top of a three in the middle, then one of Tyler Adams, Musa, or Weston McKinney has to come out of the game. If you have and him think, playing a I, false nine then obviously uh, Balogun or whoever is not going to be there. So these are good problems to have, but I'm just curious because uh, I don't know. I don't ultimately how it's going to work. We, we, we have the same issue back in, 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 uh, in Scotland right now. We've got a great amount of talent in the midfield. Our coach is playing like a 3-5-2. Three, three, we had to fit two of our best left-backs on the same pitch, which we were able to do that. We've got an abundance of talent down in the middle with John, John McGinn, Scott Tominay, Ryan Jack, Callum McGregor, all different types. We are a little bit lacking in the upfront areas, but we, we kind of have a, a very similar issue in terms of we have a great amount of talent. If, if you put one guy in, another one has to come out, and it's just a matter of, well, I guess who's training well, who's playing right, who's actually contributing a lot to the team. So I guess for those type of decisions, it's what the manager sees yep. during the week of training. Really. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Jamie. Thank you so much for uh, coming up here and speaking. I, uh, and good luck to your Rangers. Bye. Thanks, guys. All right. See ya. Bye. I mean, look, we should uh, we should all have these types of problems. These are, again, these are champagne problems. And mm-hmm. ultimately, Greg Berhalter is the beneficiary. Because I'll tell you what, there was a time uh, where these type of problems did not exist. And trying yeah. to get... Uh, all these good players and all of this talent on the field with obviously only 11 uh, spaces is uh, is a good type of problem to have going forward. Stu Holton, you know, thank like, you so much for uh, for joining us. You're going to join us evidently later on this week for a uh, much more traditional type of podcast when it comes to the State of the Union. As I mentioned, David Mossy will be back uh, next week. Thank you, my friend. Uh, how do the people get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, you know, at Stu Holden on all the different channels. I was just starting to, you know, fire up. I was cooking here on the U.S. national team, and then I realized we got to save it for the pod on Thursday. So it's a good yes, time, good exactly. time to cut it because I got I got some takes about how I think we're gonna line up and formation and suiting the you know the the talent we have at our disposal. So that that should be fun. It's it's nice to have national team games, man. I, it, I is. Love, it is. It is. And as US you as you mentioned, Uzbekistan uh, yeah. and uh, Oman coming up here and. You know, while these teams aren't necessarily big and and sexy, I think, you know, one of the way that ways that, that Greg Berhalter and I think the Federation are spinning this is come 2026, uh, and we heard plenty of talk about 2026, and all of this is geared towards that. Obviously, an, an expanded World Cup, uh, and the potential of having Asian teams in your group certainly exists with the 48 teams that are going to be there. And so, so this is obviously not something that they would, uh, that it's ideal, but this is the best that they could possibly get. And who knows, maybe we see one of these teams going forward as more teams uh, show up in the World Cup in 2026. Again, uh, keep downloading and uh, rating and subscribing and reviewing to the State of the Union podcast. Those of you that are longtime listeners and or watchers, thank you so much. If you're new, welcome. Uh, it's, uh, it, believe me, it gets better. Uh, <laughs> and, not because, and not because David Mossy comes back uh, Stu comes on and joins us all the time, either as a co-host or as a guest, and we love to have him on. And we are firing back up when it comes to the State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. You can call up, leave a message, scream and yell at me, tell us how wrong I am, how wrong Stu is, how wrong Mossy is, although he's very rarely wrong. Or you can tell us how much you uh, love us on that State of the Union podcast hotline. Anything before we go, Stu? 
Uh, I promise to have fully charged headphones for the next time we do this. Good God. And, uh, just you know horrible. what, Lex? It's always always a pleasure, my friend. You're you're uh, you're you know, not too shabby. I don't care what the other people say about you. Yeah, I, I don't care what they say about you either. I you dig know. you. Uh, or, thank you for everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you to everybody for tuning <laughs> into this uh, State of the Union live pod here with uh, with my friend Stu Holden. We will talk to you again later on this week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.